Hi, this is Garrett Wong, and I played Ensign Kim on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Neil Before Pod. You may have noticed that I'm not your usual host. That's right, it's me, Angus, from Neil Before Blog. As it's the spookiest season of all, Craig has given me the keys to the Nostromo as we fire up our special Halloween discussion of Ridley Scott's 1979 classic, Alien. Let's get to it. It looks like we've only got a bit of a skeleton crew with us today. I can only see two, maybe. Maybe a cat somewhere in the background as well, wherever Jonesy's at just now. Uh, We've got with us today our chief science officer and editor-in-chief. I think he's not a treacherous android, but I'm going to keep my eye on him. It's Craig. Hello. Hi, Craig. How are you doing? Hi. I'm good. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, and... Quick question about cryosleep. Uh, is yeah. blindness normal? <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll, that'll fade with time. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> Just got to I can't adjust. see the agenda. Oh. <laughs> And that other voice you can hear, I think she's just waking up, coming out of her pod now. It's uh, it's our chief skeptic officer. It's Natalie. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, I love that. It's my little job title. So cute. <laughs> well, you've got to live up to it now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Today we're here to discuss uh, Ridley Scott's 1979 classic sci-fi horror. 1979. Alien. 1979. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wow. So, Alien, guys. Yes. What do you think? I yeah. like Alien, yes. I've always liked Alien. <laughs> I know, it's difficult to think of a time when Alien wasn't part of, of my life and probably yeah. part of your lives as well. I am... Um, it Now, this is good because the first time I ever actually watched Alien all the way through was with both of you. There you go. It's very fitting. Oh. Weird, eh? I thought it's would cameo in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, like I thought it was one of those things where I was convinced I'd seen it many times because it's so giant, like a movie. Yeah. Um, especially when you work in the cinema for a long time, it's expected that you've seen certain movies and this is one of them. But I guess it's because I'd seen um, the Alien after this one. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I've seen that one a lot. Like a lot. I grew mm. up watching that as a child. Mm. That was my childhood. Probably too young. Yeah. <laughs> so, so but I definitely have vague memories of watching this when I was too young to watch it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's what I mean. It feels like it's just been there, and there's images from it. It's so iconic. Yeah, it's because it's older than. All it's of been us. parodied in pop culture so much that it, it's almost difficult to kind of see it as its own. You know, to imagine it mm-hmm. as as it would have been standalone movie before all the sequels before all the prequels spin-offs mm-hmm. and things just to think of it as its own entity are we going to do any like spoiler alerts for this for a what is it 37 year old movie yeah yeah spoiler alert uh from now danger the emergency destruct system is now activated um, so we are watching alien currently in the background and when it first starts and everyone's waking up and then you see Sigourney Weaver, then you're like, whoa, everyone else is going to die. And it's 
and and knowing that it's just going to be her. Well, you know her that like, you know you know that now. I know that because I've seen Aliens like so many times, and I know that she's in it. Well, of course, but think about it back in the day when. Yeah, but I can't think about this. Back was like in her first major role, and she would not have appeared as being the the sort of protagonist. You're you're almost kind of fooled into thinking that one of the male leads is kind of your. I'm your not protagonist. I'm not though. Because maybe oh. like other people, they've seen aliens first <laughs> and they know that it's her. Okay, okay. So for me, like watching it, I'm just like, I've never had that. That I've never thought any differently other than it being her. Than it being about Ripley. Yeah, and her in that big yellow machine that she wears. <laughs> not, not in this one though. Well, yeah, that's, one, that's the other one. But that's like you know, when I think of her, I think of her in that suit. Right, but in terms of this being a sci-fi movie. Uh huh. It's not, you know, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. There's no space battles. There's no federation of planets. There's kind of a space battle. Linking it all together. This is a very kind of stripped down. It's all about, you know, close contact. It's an alien space battle. Haunted house in space is what I'm getting at. Ooh, haunted house in space. <laughs> it's supposed to, you know, I think it kind of, it's like that kind of uh, indie kind of slasher movie. What? You view Alien as an indie movie? Yeah, you know, it's got a really kind of stripped back sensibility. I don't think that makes it indie. I think it makes it space chic. Craig, what do you think? In terms of like science fiction, it does all its work just by existing. You know, you're you're brought into this world and you know that everything works. So you see people operating the machines, you you see people talking about money and bonuses and things and yep. and you hear through dialogue little things that have happened in the past, but if it was made now without the film existing in the first place, it would probably start with some montage of, you know, in the year 2150, whatever, this company rose out and, you know, they decided that they were going to rule the world and, and all this stuff. So um, it's kind of great that you start the film and you're in the world already. Yeah, it just kind of, it just begins. It just starts happening and you just have to keep up. And I well, think that's one of the best things it. really just it. start happening because it tells you. It gives you a little bit of an intro. what they're doing. Which makes more sense now when you watch the second one because then you're like, well, that's why she was in space the first time. You just have to kind of take in through osmosis, though, all the stuff, that that, that all the information. Osmosis is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it it doesn't hold your hand in in building up its world. It's just in that world. It's like Star Wars in that way. You know, you just, you're expected to just roll with it from Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just these offhand references to things which until later films aren't ever really explained and you you just have to take it as part of the the world that you're watching. Mm. Isn't it weird that they're in like is it the year 2037? Good question, were you paying attention at the beginning? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Is it though? Uh let's say yes. Cuz I was like, "Whoa, that's only" and then I had to think really hard cuz obviously I was like, "Is it what year is it?" And then I was like, "Surely not." I was like, that's 21 years from now. We're going to be getting oil uh, from, from Google space. says it's 2122. Boom. Oh, crap. There you go. <laughs> where, <laughs> the, where the heck did I get 2037 from? Because oh, I, I said it's 37 years old. I'm quite sure on the screen, something said 2037. <laughs> Maybe it was just some number Mother in the said 2037. <laughs> oh, mother, it must have been uh, almost a special pass 20 to 9 o'clock. okay maybe it was like a special passport okay so once we get down to it and once you know everything's established you've you've got your crew you've got your ship they go to um 
investigate this distress signal, you get this horrific parasitic alien attaching itself to John Hurt's face. Which may actually be... I don't know if we've seen that yet. But, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty creepy. Out of the blue. I don't know if that was like anything that had ever been done before. I was reading before that um, the makers kind of quite shamelessly stole various elements and then were quite happy to admit that they you know, were paying homage to various things. But the fact that it's this... Uh, this parasitic face sucker, face hugger that just attaches. I mean, what do you think of that? Um, I think it's pretty terrifying. Uh, yeah. Just as a from a design point of view, uh, most of the design work, in fact, probably all of it for the creatures anyway, was done by H.R. Geiger, who is Heck yes, we know that. Yeah, who's quite obsessed with um, you know sexual imagery. Clearly. Yeah, have you seen all uh, his penises? <laughs> all of them. Uh, maybe it's not giant, all of them. Giant, giant pings of lots of dicks. <laughs> he was a strange man. Yeah, yeah. but he, he knows how to make something that will terrify the viewer. And yeah, the the thing about the face hugger is it does look completely alien. It's just not like anything we we know on Earth. I know it's horrific. And uh, I think you've, you were right with this kind of sexual imagery because it kind of gets to the, the sort of uh, heart of of what humans find horrific is this kind of very invasive uh, creature, this thing that kind of attaches (laughs) itself to you. And and then obviously your first viewing of the film, you've no idea what's going on. Yeah. You think he's all right because it drops off eventually, but uh, he's never going to be okay. Come on. When you're watching it, you're like, he's, he's got this, these horrible bony (laughs) hands just spread all over his face. Like, Oh my God. It yeah. seems weird how um, okay he is with it once it dislodges itself. You know, he's, just, <laughs> he's back having his lunch shortly after that, and yeah, oh, and just kind of gets on with his day. You know, uh, well, they all are. I mean, uh, th- this is like the most horrific thing any of them must have ever seen. And then once it once it's it drops off, they all just go back to <laughs> go back yeah. to normal. I know. Why did they not put him in quarantine? He's had an alien like on his face, mm-hmm. giving him babies. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Well, they'd already broken quarantine by that point, as uh, Ripley says. Oh, yeah. She's willing to leave everyone outside because John Hurt's contaminated. Uh-huh. But then Ash overrides it. Yeah. What a dick. Well, that's <laughs> your motive. And do you know what? It's just reminding me of, see, back in the day, like back in like early 80s horror movies and stuff, do you not think like whenever somebody had something done to them, like terrible, they'd always have like white goo? <laughs> Like interesting that you should bring up white goo. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you got that on the sheet? Oh yeah, there's a point here. White goo. Oh, Discuss. Really? White really? Goo. <laughs> no. Oh. But we will be. I bet, the, I bet the listeners are uh, waiting for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like just to go back on that, there was like a movie I remember watching. Must be from like a similar time, and this person, whenever they like. Oh, I don't know what happened. It was always like this white goo stuff, like whenever they got cut. It wasn't like, I don't know, it was like a saying of them being alien. Oh, I remember something like that. It was like Dark Angel or something like that. And oh, maybe like no, I was thinking guy. of like an even older thing. Like what? <laughs> Man from Uncle? I don't know. <laughs> the Man from Uncle. <laughs> the episode where they get possessed by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> no, but maybe it's because it's like actually they're just 
really widely widely used. It's interesting that you should bring up kind of 80s horror movies, though, because what eventually happens is a horrific adult alien ends up stalking them around dark corridors in the spaceship. So there's no, you know, there's no pulse rifles, there's no blasters or anything going on here. They're basically just being picked off one by one. Yeah, and they're miners, so all they have is their mining gear around, and it's not exactly state-of-the-art. Well, nothing is on their ship. I was taking note of that earlier. I was like, it's quite interesting when I was thinking about dated, it might look and things like that, but it actually doesn't. I think because they've refrained from using it like really crass, like CGI and stuff, it looks really good for how old it is. I don't quite like. Well, there was essentially no such thing as CGI at that point, so it all had to be model work and it had to be sets and it all had to be built well enough so that the actors could inhabit it. And it, and it definitely it's is. So good, and I think it's I think it's a sad thing that's disappeared from movies because you don't really get that anymore. And and I think it makes a huge difference, like knowing that the characters are are really like in that space. And yeah, it's kind of it's kind of sad almost watching it and seeing where films are at now. Even if you imagine that as a kind of you know as the lowest of the low people kind of traveling through space on this burnt out ship or this you know. Uh, you know, it's it's old. It's almost a wreck. It looks like it's got old yeah. old tech Corn for seats. even then. Mm. Um, that I think that makes it even more horrific because they've got this kind of rundown equipment, and they, you know they they can't. There's no escape. They're stuck in this kind of rust bucket of a ship. <laughs> you know, they don't even they don't have even in the future they don't have technology to help them. Yeah, because I mean, what technology could they've put in there that you know? other than the ship itself that would have yeah. enhanced it in any way. You know, it is about people surviving on their wits or dying on their wits, I suppose. <laughs> um, against yeah. something dying. that they can understand. Mm. So would you agree that it kind of fits the, the haunted house, the sort of slasher I movie? Think it does, and I'd never thought of it like as a sort of haunted house in space, but it's not really well, it's more like it's more like oh maybe it's not like a haunted house in space. It's more like a Bad guys broken into your house and <laughs> uh, home invasion. Like, <laughs> like hush. Yeah. Like what? What else? Like what other movies? Lots of movies. Lots well, of movies. you know, Michael Myers is this kind of silent stalker type that just goes mm-hmm. around picking people off, and I think it kind of fits in with that. Even though it's obviously, you know, it's turned into a massive sci-fi franchise. However, it's way yeah. creepier because it's space. True. For some reason, and you know, and there, you know that you can't run out to the garden, and no one can hear you scream. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. The thing yeah. about the ship is, it's um, it's dark, it's claustrophobic, it's noisy. Um, there's so there's a lot of kind of noises that of, of machines swearing up and things that could mm-hmm. easily be the alien. But so you you hear a couple of instances of people sort of jumping at shadows and things. Yeah, I would if I was on that ship. I'd be locking myself in a cupboard. <laughs> That's where the alien likes to hide. Yeah. Yeah, but if, well, I'm dead then. <laughs> Simple as that. It doesn't like cats though. It doesn't seem to want to kill cats. Keep cats around then. Get out of my little did nothing. <laughs> okay, so Natalie, you were meant you were talking about uh, Ripley earlier. Yes. And how much you like her from Aliens. You know, she's a <laughs> badass. Yeah. What do you think of her in this film? Um, she just no starts one... off as one of the one of the crew. She wakes up at the same time. There's not really much attention paid to her. 
Well, where are we? Is that, is that her? Craig pointed out that she, you know, takes a stance when they try and uh, bring Kane back on board. So she's the one that's got like the moral yeah, integrity. Could that be her first kind of exhibiting her first uh, signs of being a heroine? Craig, what do you think? It's not really morality in any way. She's just kind of following protocol at that point. Um, if anything, it's she's looking against, out for herself, though. Like it's, ag- it's against yeah, it's against traditional morality because she's willing to leave her crew out there to face oh, yeah, the elements. Not, okay, morality wasn't the right word. But I think every member of the crew has some moment where that, that sets them up as they could be the protagonist here. Definitely, you know, and it all happens early on where everybody gets a kind of. A moment to shine, as it were. So they've, they've all got personalities. They may not be that well developed in some cases, but you know, you get an idea of who those people are. Yeah. And what do you think of how um, Ripley emerges through the film? You know, how she kind of... It, as, again, it's difficult to see her without the rest of the baggage of every other film that the character has been in. But what do you think of her journey through the through this film? She's not your typical damsel in distress, which is refreshing. Like for horror movies at the time, it would be if you're talking about Halloween or Friday the 13th or whatever, it's usually a, a screaming girl running away from. Right, and that's Lambert no, like, in this film. Yeah. But in Halloween, isn't it, isn't it a woman who is like the person who saves herself? Well, yeah, the last girl is kind of a trope. Yeah. Um, and so I suppose Ripley does kind of fit into that, but she seems more. She's got a bit more agency, I think, than than a lot of. Yeah, she wants to find girls. the thing and kill it, yeah, rather than hide from it. And when it becomes too much for her, she starts to blow up the ship and and look into ways of leaving. Maybe it's just because maybe this film really paved the way for a lot of that. But I find it really hard to not think of examples that fit that. So you're saying, oh, she's the first person to really do this as a woman. But I'm a bit like, well, I can think of loads of movies where that's happened. And I don't know this film, obviously, as well as you guys. And it's not the first one that I saw. So I'm. it's really hard for me to, to see her character mm-hmm. in a different way, I think. Just having grown up on Aliens. Right, of course. With hindsight, it's difficult to, yeah. to picture that. Um, but I think... I don't know, knowing it was her first major role, and you can kind of see how at the beginning she does kind of blend into the rest of the crew, but then by the end of the film, she obviously she's kind of the only one left, but <laughs> yeah. she, she does a really good job of kind of of making a, an arc for her character and, and kind of really coming into her own at the end. And she's the main foil for Ash whenever he um, reveals his true colours as well. <laughs> Which one's Ash? Bilbo. <laughs> Ah, yeah, he's a dick. The, the android full of white goo. White goo. There's the white goo again. Oh, I forgot he was the android. <laughs> with his with his plastic face that's not plastic when he's connected and talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. When his yeah, head comes off, booted too. around the place. Doesn't his head come off? I, yeah, I mm. I remember being really young and waking up in the middle of the night. Although it could have been eleven o'clock or something, and just felt like it was the middle of the night to me. And I put the TV on. And it was that scene, it was Ash's head coming off, and there was so much white goo. <laughs> and I, I, that was like one of the most horrific things I'd seen at the time because, you know, there's this like, you know, decapitated head and he's just got stuff spurting from everywhere. And, and the sort of weird um, modulation that they do to his voice 
obviously his, mm. his, his Android circuits have kind of screwed up at that point. And I just, I remember just seeing that and like it giving me nightmares because it was so, it seemed so horrible to my young mind. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. But like, I think that's one thing that the film doesn't maybe do quite as well with, it introduces androids about halfway through. Mm-hmm. And um, at the, before that point, you don't have much of an idea of how anything works in this universe. But then right. you've, mm. you've suddenly got this android turning up and, and it's an awful lot of kind of story exposition about oh yeah he's a plant by the company and uh, androids are not to be trusted or are they unstable who knows I mean the you don't really have much context for it. is this normal behavior it's true but I suppose you just have to take the other characters reactions to the revelation to kind of see and obviously um, he's referred to as a man or you know everyone kind of treats him as a, as another human all the way up until the point where it's revealed that he is this creepy white man. Do people know he's an man. android from the whole time? No, no, they, they don't learn until he tries to kill them. So they don't know. They have no clue at all. You get the impression that they all think he's a bit weird, though. If when mm-hmm. whenever he talks during dinner scenes or whatever, um, they all kind of give him a look as if to say, "I wish he'd stop talking." But is it because he's not eating? It's, I think it's because they're just unsettled by him. So they, maybe Are they, they unsettled like by him because he talks during dinner instead of eating anything? <laughs> does he eat something? I'm sure he does. I, don't know. I think he does. I mean, maybe you might have to go back and kind of pay attention, but there's. I don't think that there's any signals uh, like that, you know, nothing very overt to, to tell you that other than the way that the slight sort of oddities and the fact that, uh, you know, um, Parker and Brett kind of keep away from him and don't really Ooh. interact with him in the same way. Did Those they, are maybe only slight signals to let to kind of tip you off that there's something not right about this guy. Did they yeah. ever say what the we like face hugger is like actually made of? Is it like oysters and mushrooms or something? What you mean the effect? Uh huh. Oh, I don't know. It's it probably like, all kinds of it horrible. It's like bunches of like slimy mushrooms and <laughs> oysters and. <laughs> We'll have to we'll have to Google it later. Imagine it's make some, one for next Halloween. <laughs> imagine it's some kind of rubber or plastic. It looks real, but there's, a lot, of, there's like, a lot of goo in there. We're like, back to goo again, but there's lots quite, of horrible goo. It's quite fleshy. Doesn't look like, you know, your standard rubber latex crap. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, it's, I mean it's a good effect and it's a very good practical effect and, and clearly it's it did its job because people are still talking about it nearly yeah. 40 years later. Yeah. Don't round up. That makes us older. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, what about the rest of the crew? I mean, it's good to have this kind of contained group that you can focus on, and you get you get your um, you get your griping every man Parker and Brett, who are the sort of engineering guys who just <laughs> take against everything that they're being told to do. It's all about the money for them. Uh, they just want to. Well, they're on a sh- They just want to get home. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, you've got Dallas and Kane, who are the kind of male leads. Who, you know, before before Ripley emerges, it, it could be argued that one of them is going to is going to be their, your main focus. We've talked a bit about Ash as well, and a bit about Lambert. How she's the um, she's like the stand in for the audience. She screams whenever we're supposed to scream or she's always getting frightened and running away. <laughs> do you have do you have a particular favourite from the from the rest of the crew, Craig? Not really, but I think it's hard to see past Ripley because I know that she's the the protagonist or mm-hmm. turns out to be the protagonist. I do mm-hmm. think they all have 
their own little quirks that make them interesting. And yeah. I kind of more enjoy the scenes of them interacting together than I do any particular character. I just think the, the dialogue feels very natural. Yeah, they, they definitely feel like colleagues, which yeah. again kind of grounds it, even though we know that they're on a spaceship and uh, you know a whole load of unnatural stuff's about to happen. But yeah, all that stuff feels very much like they are in a working environment. Yeah, they do. They do mostly talk about work or like each other or just random anecdotes that you would kind of talk about during work. And also in space. Yeah, well, there is work in space. Yeah. I think I'm quite drawn to the Dallas character. I, I think I, you know, he seems he seems like he's going to be the sort of prototypical hero type. And, uh, is Dallas the one that looks like he's actually from the seventies. Yeah, <laughs> and when and when you know he does a lot of heroic type stuff, and he and he obviously volunteers to go into the air duct to try and flush the alien out. Idiot. Uh, but even though I know what happens to him, whenever he does that, I always get the feeling of like, no, don't go in there. I always want <laughs> Dallas to survive. Mm. So I, he, to me, he seems to have a, that kind of you know leading man. Uh, you know, he should be he should survive type uh, personality. But then I guess yeah. maybe it was even more of a shock when he eventually meets his end. How old yeah. were you when you first watched this? I can't even remember now. It's, it's again, it just seems like it's been there the whole time. Because I, I mean, because I really, I don't get, I get that whole, oh, I want them to survive. And you have like a moment where you think, oh, maybe. And then you're like, no, there's no way where they're going to survive because you've seen it before. Mm-hmm. But I... I mean, people who went to see this originally in cinema, they must have known that this was like Super Neuver being the main pe- person. I don't think so. They didn't well, know. If you put yourself in the shoes of an audience in 79, trailers weren't as revealing as they are now. Mm-hmm. So the, I think um, if you look up the Alien trailer, and I'll, you know, it's, yeah. it's worth putting in the show notes, I think uh, it's, it's just kind of gives you a feel of, you're going to watch something, really. And a yeah. lot of trailers at the time were like that. Mm. And I wish that trailers these wearing? days would be like that. He's wearing like a leotard or something. Who's that one? She's looking at uh, John Hurt waking up after the uh, face huggers detached He's itself. He's wearing like this magical cape and a leotard. It's the <laughs> 70s, man. Wow. I think um, that when I think when this came out, Ian Holm, John Hurt were probably the biggest names in it. Maybe Tom yeah. Skerritt as Dallas. Mm. So, you know, pe- if you go and see a film now and it's got, you know, names you recognise, you, nobody would have really known who Sigourney Weaver was. So there's no indication going in that she's going to be the, the survivor. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's important. Plus, I think the, the, the casting was probably down to the fact that they had quite a small budget and these actors were pretty cheap. Yeah. And, you know, that can make or break a film sometimes. So you've got this this group of people that they're all very good actors, but they were probably the only people they could afford at the time. Don't say that. That's like totally belittling their abilities to like portray (laughs) the characters or anything. Well, it's not, though, because, you know, Ridley Scott was was fairly new to the game at the time, so he couldn't go after the, the top talent. So he kind of had to find people in the in the rough. And, and make something out of it. And then you end up getting a horror where you, at the time, where you can't predict who's going to die next. Yeah, so it works. Yeah. Plus, yeah. now, looking back at it, you can't 
I mean, they all fit so well, you know. And imagine if it was made now, you know, you'd have you'd have Chris Pratt in there and uh-huh. and whoever else. Yeah. Well, seeing as you've introduced <laughs> what you're just about to see ah! on screen, <laughs> oh chest burster. I totally happening. Still shocking to this day, do you think? It's just creepy because they're trying to like put a stick in his mouth. <laughs> I think it's unsettling pretty... more than than yeah. She makes some pretty unsettling noises, some pretty you know unsettling. Oh! <laughs> oh, his chest is just like flipped. <laughs> I think what really helped it is um, the the cast weren't told what was about to happen. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so the reaction to the the bursting is is genuine. Yeah, it's covered. In... Like, they all look like they're going to be sick. That's one of those sorts of um, <laughs> things from movie lore. You know, it's like what you know you hear about. The, the, all these tricks directors do to get the best or mm-hmm. to get the best shots and best reactions out of their um, their actors. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> oh, little, little chest burster. Oh, that bit when it like runs off the table is hilarious. So yeah, that, was, that doesn't age well. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. I think it's so retro that it's pretty horrific as well. <laughs> like just like the shit, but it. I, I was thinking about this, and I was when I was thinking about remembering seeing Ash's head come off when I was so young. I can't remember a time where I didn't know what was going to happen in this scene, though. It seems like, you know, this mm-hmm. is such a famous scene that h- how are you supposed to even keep the the reveal a secret for anyone who might not have seen the film? I mean, everyone has seen some version of this or some I parody. Think that, I think that makes it more like exciting to watch because people then have this expectation there's a bit of a build up you think yeah there's like because you know like you know that when you're watching it that that's going to happen and then you know that when you get to it that that's what is happening and you're just kind of like oh my god it's that bit (laughs) going down and my god what about you craig do you have a memory of of not knowing what was going to happen when they sat down to dinner definitely not i just yeah, I've always kind of any viewing I've had, I've always known the kind of exact second that it's about to happen. But I, I think um, it is possible to find people who are in a vacuum with it. I mean, people don't necessarily have such wide movie knowledge, so you could probably show it to someone who's fourteen and has only ever seen really modern movies, and uh, or lives in the Amazon rainforest or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I think, but I think even if you didn't have like this big spectrum of movie knowledge and if you were young or whatever, I still think oh, maybe it's just me, but I still feel like you'd have an awareness of it because it is it is used in so many other other things. I don't I don't see where you'd get away from from well, any knowledge of it. I think I what think, I think if you would get sorry, what I think you'd get is someone who would say, um, "Oh, that reminds me of that insert name of later film here." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that if you were to like for someone who you know, had only the vaguest knowledge of Alien, ask them what they knew about it, they'd be like, oh, it's that horror movie where the thing comes out the guy's chest. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's that kind of uh, integral to the to the movie as a whole. It's like so central to the mythology of it as well. And, and then beyond, you know, to people who may not even have seen it will have heard of it. Yeah. I wonder if it was made now, it would be in the trailer. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Probably. Oh my God. I don't want to think about it getting like being made now or anything like that because I think there's really like there's like something nice about how everything in the movie works together. Like 
well, all the the set, the gadgets that they have access to and stuff. And when you think about it being now and all the crap, like, momentary technology that they'd put on it and stuff to try and make it a bit more like, oh, this is 2017 or whatever. They'd all have see-through iPads. That's the thing now. (laughs) They'd all have that. They'd all have, like, floating technology screens to determine what part of the universe they're in and and it's i don't know yeah whereas let's look at prometheus prometheus is that you know set before this but it looks way more advanced Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well maybe that's just to show obviously because it was made later but maybe it also backs up just how shit how crappy equipment they they had on the nostromo yeah. yeah yeah it's just the you know that's one way of kind of um, excusing the, the tech in, in Prometheus. Uh-huh. Well, the, the, the Nostromo could be 100 years old. There's no reason it couldn't be. Yeah, yeah. It's the equivalent of still using old buses. I guess. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking or old like, trains. I was going to say, it's like, you know, when you're in town and you see like a mega old like LRT bus or something, <laughs> and you're like, whoa, why are they still using that? But, um you know, if, if it it's there and it can it works and it's doing the job, why not? <laughs> so that's what I was thinking. Isn't it weird? A bus. <laughs> yeah. And and they're 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 trying to use like nets and torches and things to, to catch this alien. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so sort of um old school the approach. Yeah. Well I suppose they know yeah. that they don't have anything what more, are you gonna do? more deadly to hand. Also, they Check don't want to. Well, yeah, but they don't want to. They don't want to uh, have acid blood sprayed everywhere and tear a hole oh, in their yeah. ship. Well, that's the idea. They're they're really terrified of a hull breach more than anything else at one point mm-hmm. because it could kill them all. I suppose. What? How is it so like? How is its blood so acidy? Because it's an alien. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> because because the because it is. Uh, it doesn't bother explaining it. It doesn't need to, really. Yeah, it yeah, it's just another one of those things that you just have to it take. Although they vaguely say it's a defense mechanism or something, don't they? So, mm-hmm. what that it got like, stabbed? That, that is one hypothesis, I believe, when they're trying to cut the face hugger off of uh, off of Kane. Yeah. So you just all chucked them out the window. <laughs> the window. <laughs> I, I always say, uh, I always remember the Alien trilogy video game on the PlayStation. And you had to step around dead aliens or dead facehuggers because their blood was acidic and it would... Uh, it would oh, hurt. yeah, if you walked over them, you'd like lose a couple <laughs> of health points. <laughs> yeah. yeah didn't, you, didn't you stop playing that because it was too scary? That was Alien Isolation. All right. <laughs> Still never played that. Yes, it was too scary. Well, Gus couldn't play it on his own because the cat would freak him out. Oh, or... man. I was playing I was playing it and the cat was like scampering around in the dark behind me behind the sofa. <laughs> and it is one of that that's like the most interactive horror game you could ever play is having a tiny little potential <laughs> face hugger just skittering about on the floor behind you. <laughs> Who needs VR, yeah? Exactly. You know. Screw your Oculus Rift. Um right. Where are we now? So just quickly going back to the chestburster scene, do you think it belongs in the pantheon of all time? great cinematic scenes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Ridley Scott couldn't even top it himself when he did Prometheus, and he tried <laughs> with, with something much bigger, that whole pregnancy. The alien kind of caesarean. Yeah, that was that was weird. Yeah. Oh, but, I think it's, oh, I feel so bad for her. 
for being in that film or having an alien Suzuki. Do you know what? I didn't mind Prometheus. I tried to apologize for it. I thought you liked it. I wanted to like it. I wanted to like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, I like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Do you? Yeah. One day we'll have to do a podcast where I defend it. Oh, God. Yeah. When we get to the bit about Shia LaBeouf swinging through the vines with all the monkeys, I want to hear what you've got to say about that. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. That's a future episode. Chess Burster. Iconic. What do you think? Um, I, well, I can't, well, of course it's iconic. I can't deny that and I can't dispute it and I can't say, I can't really say anything on it. It's bigger than, it's bigger than the movie. It's bigger than the movie now. I know. Well, that's the thing. It's kind of. And, and, uh, and it's just become its own thing. Do I mean, it's been around for 37 years. Like there's nothing, I'm sure there's, who was the first place to like parody it or mimic it or anything, but yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just been used so many times, like, there's no one that can say it's not iconic. It's a good, it, I suppose, the fact that it is almost bigger than the movie, that one scene does kind of show just how shocking, how good, how, you know, everything that went into making it, not telling the cast what was about to happen, the, the kind of shock, the body horror, the fact that you think that Kane's all right because he's, you know, the face huggers off of him now. I know, but because you can't, no. How can you watch that and think that he's okay now because he's had an alien on him? I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> I, every time I'm like, if I am watching this, which I am right now, I'm just like, how are they that stupid that they've just got him roaming about? He's he should be somewhere else. Well, that's the point of you know trying to lull you into this sense of security where they're you know you're in amongst them, the cameras kind of panning around as they're all eating and uh, talking, and then. All hell breaks loose. Oh, and Android, he was at the table, only chewing, but we don't see him put any food in his mouth, so mm. he's only, I think he's pretending to chew. Good spot. So, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, Ash, weirdo, according to everyone else. Yeah. Weirdo well, Ash. We haven't talked much about the, the the adult form of the xenomorph, which it's never actually called in this film. Why not? I think that was kind of retconned or, you know, bolted on later, at a later date. It's It's the Marines that call it that in the second one, isn't it? Right, yeah, it's maybe like a kind of uh, army. designation. Yeah, yeah. A military designation. In this, it's just, they keep calling it things like that thing or, I don't know, something else. But they they don't really Well, that's the thing. You never really see it. And that's the point, because the, the budget, the costume... It's just a guy that they found that was tall and had abnormally long arms and legs that they thought would, was, would fit into this weird, <laughs> uh, s- strange outfit. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's me. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it it doesn't look great um, now. No, I mean, the design is is terrifying if you look at a picture of it. But the the suit's a bit corny, and there's some bits where the, you know, it's where it has the second mouth. Where it's yeah. clearly they're they're pushing a bit of plastic through <laughs> the, the mouth hole. <laughs> right. You're reading it. I don't remember what it looks like. In the cold light of day, the movie. it's not scary. But it just speaks to how well it's shot and the, <laughs> and lit and performed by there the actors that are there. reacting to it. Yeah. It's weird. The design as well, of course, just goes to make one of the most iconic movie monsters. It looks like a dolphin. Oh, look at Jonesy. 
Oh, something, something really scared that cat. <laughs> and it has a, a, a minimalist approach um, to the, the way that they encounter it as well. So you've got uh, getting picked up, you know, from an unseen thing above them and, yep. and, and all this. Or you see little parts of it, the dimly lit areas and things. So, you know, you, you don't really get that many money shots of it because the money mm-hmm. shots are probably the worst part. Yeah. Well, we just had, there was one just on the screen and that's that one where you're talking about that face with the wee face inside it, but it didn't look that bad to me. I think I've got, that's another one of these images that just kind of lives with me from before I'd even seen the film. I'd seen images and probably computer games of the alien mouth and the mouth that comes out. And I think the fact that it seemed so impractical to me, but that made it seem more horrific because you're like, what the hell is that? Why does it have another (laughs) mouth? There might that could well be based on some you know insect or whatever that's got some sort of weird proboscis type thing. But kangaroo. It, I rem- I can remember seeing images of that alien before I ever had ever seen the film, and it that even just pictures of that would scare me because I used to think that is terrifying. I'm sure I had a toy of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Plush alien. What is a child? It was like an action figure. He used to fight Spider-Man because I didn't know what it was. Right. Oh, <laughs> no, just a... that's not that's not alien, isn't that? Um... I think Craig's talking about like in his bedroom with his action figures. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He could take on, you know, Spider Man and Batman could team up to fight this thing. Whatever Gross it was. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Along with the Terminator, because you know, I made my own fun. Because why not? Because yeah. why not? <laughs> action figures. I wish it wasn't weird to play with them now. So <laughs> it isn't weird. You can do whatever you want. It's your life and. If you've got your action figures, why not? They're, I do, but they're all in boxes because, you know, I'm one of those collectors. No! <laughs> I think you need to enjoy them for what they are. Not have them as a commodity for for um, for trying to make money. Oh, no, I just have them for display purposes. They're, not, they're probably not worth anything. A lot of them I've picked up for Pennies in car boot sales. <laughs> Bargain. Yeah. Right. But that's besides the point. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the alien, uh, I think, I, yeah, I was playing with toys of it before Look, I ever watched the film. Oh. Well, there's your number. But, yeah, yeah. so it, I think that the whole life cycle of the alien now has been kind of picked apart and, you know, analysed through all subsequent movies. But that was another thing that made it so horrific was that, you know, it has these different stages. You don't know what's coming next. They find it. They find the egg, the face hugger, the chest burster. They're all just horrible. They're, they're inhabiting human hosts gestating inside them. And then it all results in this like Uber horror thing that just kind of lurks in the shadows, picking them all off. And yeah, you mentioned HR Giger and his, his designs for them. Yeah, and it grows to seven feet tall in the space of a short space (laughs) without ever eating anything. (laughs) Yeah, and that's another thing. That's another thing about, you know, unexplained. Yeah, they find kind of its um, shed skin a bit like a snake or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I think that is another thing that adds to the horror of it is that there's no explanation for it. It's happening. It just happened. You know, it's now in its, well, potentially in its adult phase. We don't know at this time in the film. It's just in another horrific incarnation of like an <laughs> ultimate killing machine. So I was just thinking about the the wee one when it's like a wee baby one. 
Jack, it looks like a treadle bite. Uh, maybe. Maybe it's maybe it's based kind of on some sort of weird fossil. Well, those still exist though. But also the alien itself as an adult form. I think I was thinking about the animals. It looks like a dolphin, a crocodile and a kangaroo. With a phallus for a head. A dripping phallus. No, it's like a dolphin head. <laughs> right, yeah. It looks like it's got a dolphin head. <laughs> I've never quite heard it described like that, but... Okay. Well, if they all had a baby, that's what it's like. <laughs> Maybe there could be a, a kangaroo-based alien in a future film. <laughs> With just this disgusting pouch. Hey. Like a real kangaroo. Like it puts <laughs> just, like, just like when Bart Simpson tries to get into <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like in cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> well, thinking about thinking about um, you know, the world of alien, Wayland Yutani, uh, xenomorphs and things, and what came later, the lack of world building that that happens in this, or the hints at it. I wanted to talk a bit about you know our thoughts on that. And maybe how it kind of is spun off and how there's now, you know, almost every corner of, of this world has been explored in one way or another. What do you think of of what the sequels did to the sort of minimalist approach that Alien start, started off? It, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think Aliens is a great example of just telling another type of story in this world. Uh-huh. Which is great, you know. So it expands upon it, and it lets you see something new. And, yep. You know, it shows you, it shows you what this world's capable of having in it. And then Alien Three, you go a bit back to the well of the first one, which is not that interesting. And then Alien Resurrection is even less interesting. And, uh, oh my god, I haven't even seen the, like those ones. I've seen like this one. No, oh, you must have seen them. Ah. Yeah, yeah, you know, Charles Dance is in Three. Oh, definitely <laughs> see that one then. Charles Dance is like. Ron, uncle. Ron Perlman playing space basketball in four. <laughs> what? <laughs> you've, yeah. seen, you've seen. You've I seen. I don't think I have. I Sigourney like... Weaver make the over the shoulder no look shot that impresses them all. Apparently made it in real life. <laughs> mm, I don't know if I have seen that. <laughs> I only remember like the DVD covers that had like one eggs, two eggs, three eggs, four. They they got on with a like simple formula of eggs. Yeah. Well, I have almost no memory for three and four myself because I don't ever revisit them really because yeah. they're not that good. And Ridley Scott's declared them non-canon anyway, but <laughs> then he made Prometheus, and so I don't know what he's talking about. There's a, there's exactly all these weird right. theories about you know what three was going to become and all these things about it being set on a wooden monastic planet or something. Wooden. <laughs> yeah, like an entirely wooden planet or something. Oh. Yeah, there's just tons and tons of weird. Like after one and two seem fairly straightforward, and then. Kind of from there, like Craig says, it just kind of goes mental, and then you know we get even further mm-hmm. down the line versus Predator, etc. Yeah. Oh yeah, those. But I think <laughs> I'd agree that I don't know. It's difficult. I don't want to sort of claim that two is better than one because they're they're so different. But I they find two. I don't think you can compare them. I was going to say like two definitely can stand without one. I find Aliens far more rewatchable I think because mm. as an action movie you know you can enjoy the sort of big action set pieces whereas this one you know because it's more of a horror movie and it's quite it's a bit slower 
you know the order in which people are being picked off and it's really just a matter of time. I never remember, so to be honest, it's like watching it for the first time every time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, There's maybe there's just a bit more kind of machismo <laughs> and, uh, and about aliens that makes it kind of easier just to go back and watch as a more enjoyable experience, well, I think. I think yeah. aliens is more dynamic in, in the characters. It's got... Um, Scooney Weaver in a role that she's like by then quite comfortable with. We've got that wee girl, Newt. Newt. We've got mostly, you know, like bad guys. <laughs> We've got like the innocence of the child. We've got, you know, it's got so much more going for it in terms of um, Paul Reiser being a total creep. Action, and <laughs> whereas this one, it's it's scary and it's good, but it yes. kind of just exists on that level. For me, it like, largely depends what mood I'm in. Um, if I want to watch a horror film, I'll watch Alien. If I want an action film, I'll watch Aliens. And Aliens does stand alone. Like you, as mm-hmm. you said, you don't need to watch the first one to watch the second one because yeah. that gives it gives you all the information again, just presented slightly differently. Well, I mean, it's that whole thing that you're seeing with this one, though, like that you have to just suspend, um, like belief, so that you're not thinking too much about it. With number like with aliens, because it was the one that I saw first and it's the one that I've seen quite a few times, um I was always a bit confused as to like what was actually going on and what was happening. But you just have to just be like, well, don't think too much about that and just just take it for, for what it is. But it's kind of it's good to see the first one and then get an understanding of that character. But for me it was almost like Alien is like a prequel for me <laughs> of what aliens yeah. is. Right. Yeah, and there, there will be Just people that have seen. Order. Yeah, there will be people that have seen different ones in different orders as well, because I guess a lot of people's exposure to these films will be what happens to be played on Friday nights on Channel Four or whatever it would be, you know, like, mm-hmm. or whatever channel you happen to be watching. So one week it might be Alien Three, and then you know it might be a few months later that they'll decide to play Alien or whatever. And Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just you know filling time on TV schedules, but. Um, Certainly, yeah, certainly Aliens is the one I have a lot more fun with because mm-hmm. it, it gives birth to a lot of the action movie tropes that we take for granted now, especially sci-fi mm-hmm. action movie tropes. You know, like. Yeah, definitely. I think if I turned on the TV and Aliens was on, I would probably sit and watch it. Whereas if, I, if Alien 3 or Alien Resurrection was on, <laughs> I would think, unless it was a particularly good scene, I'd probably watch that bit and then turn it off. I would have, I would feel no sort of compulsion to <laughs> stick with it to the end. Yeah, I feel but, bad. I, I really don't think I've seen three and four. I'd forgotten that there was a three and four. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. I suppose. You gave me the anthology on Blu-ray. No, I know. I remember. <laughs> I remember yeah. getting it for you, but I remember being like, "Oh, and it's got those ones that he probably doesn't really care about, but <laughs> it's included, so I'll get it too." But I've got the anthology on Blu-ray, and three and four have never been played. <laughs> That's where you get to learn all about wooden planets and things. Why? Because <laughs> in all the special features that goes into into all the production issues that three had, and uh, yeah, there's there's even like concept art and stuff you can look at of what they thought a wooden planet would look like. <laughs> what? It's so uh, it doesn't weird. it doesn't bear thinking about. Oh, you'll you'll go to that well one day, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> one day, but you, you're um, you mentioned world building. I think um, I think this film does do quite a lot of world building. It just doesn't give you any answers. So the 
the infamous space jockey, this giant fossilized alien with a chest cavity. Right. Um, doesn't tell you what it is. It doesn't. Well, you can eventually figure out that, that an alien burst out of him, and that's what caused the chest cavity. But um, you know, there, there's that mystery of it. They discover this fossilized alien race with a giant ship, and and they just yeah. have no idea what it is. And it's and amazing that it's never been explained. Yeah, I know it, and uh, and the eggs, which obviously eventually you, you you'll see an alien queen. Um, yeah. Not in this film, that was, but that was down there the whole time, apparently. Yeah, well, you know, we're in, in this film, that she all was just napping. that all just comes about. Yeah, like you've said, there's this alien race, giant space jockeys. There's eggs coming from somewhere. We know that we know that. Well, eventually, we find out that these aliens have to inhabit a host of some sort. Uh, by the time we get to three, we find out they can face hog onto dogs and stuff. <gasps> what? Is, oh yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but, it's kind of adorable I, actually. <laughs> but then but that's another one of these things. Like you just it's never explained. It's just it, you just get what you get, you see what happens and and then all the rest of the films all the way to Prometheus and beyond kind of go about explaining it in maybe a way that kind of makes it a bit less interesting. I was gonna say, yeah, wouldn't that that's just be authenticity? The worst thing you can do is solve a mystery, especially one that lasted as long as this one did. Then, Unless it's Columbo. <laughs> before there was, you know, before the internet... <laughs> Columbo versus... <laughs> before the internet existed, you know, you would still have the equivalent of, I guess, people just chatting about stuff or, or whatever, or letters pages and magazines and things, and you would... You know, there'd be a discussion point about, oh, what do you think this uh, space jog is? And then you have right. a million theories from different people. Theories. And then Ridley Scott comes along and ruins it by giving it the most boring explanation you can think of. <laughs> and, you know, it's almost it's almost a shame that we know the truth. And I try and forget that when I watch yeah. this film now. Because I, I do prefer the fact that, oh, look, it's this bizarre thing that they've just encountered. And there's no one around to tell them how it came about. So we don't really need... And we don't need to know because, it's again, the mystery's better. I mean, um, watch I, information. I, yeah, I liken it to... Uh, in Star Trek where the Klingons have ridges in the next generation don't in the original series because makeup's better by the time they go to the <laughs> next generation or the films. And uh, there's one episode where Worf gets asked about it and he says, we don't discuss it with outsiders. And it's like, <laughs> that's it. You yeah. know, that there's an explanation. Uh, I don't need to hear it because I'm much happier thinking about it, talking to people about it. Right. I suppose yeah. that's, that's an example of a good way of addressing an issue like that. Yeah. Instead of feeling like you have to explain absolutely everything about uh, a mysterious aspect of a film or TV show, yeah, and I don't, I can't imagine how after what thirty-five years or whenever Prometheus came out, Ridley Scott thought his answer would be the definitive one that everyone would accept <laughs> because, or Damon Lindelof, I guess, who wrote the damn thing. But um, yeah, who does he think he is for solving this mystery with you know? Right. And I guess, it, but all it's going to be is his theory, isn't it? I mean. He would have grown up watching the film or whatever, so it's all going to be what he thinks. And it's a bit like who wants to see Anakin Skywalker as a child. Yeah, it's, it just becomes fan fiction at that point yeah. with a budget, but fan fiction nonetheless. You know. Mm-hmm. Hey, I like him as a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's always one. You're what's wrong with Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just leave me with my ignorance. I don't care what the space jockey is or where he comes from or, or anything like that. I just I'm happy to know that he's out there and was out there 
however many millions of years ago. Right, so you're against building better better worlds. I'm against solving mysteries that don't need to be solved. <laughs> I love the aesthetic in this film. You've got blinking lights everywhere, which is just oh, very I sci-fi. I love all the and blinking like lights. And like flipping switches and sort yeah. of very chunky, clunky looking technology. It's like in that um, in that room that he goes to to talk to Mother. That's like Big Brother, isn't it? It's Mother's like chamber, yeah, it's brilliant. It's like Big Brother room with all the lights and... And it is great how you can just put lights on a wall and suddenly it's sci-fi. <laughs> it's the hallmark of science fiction in those oh, days. It's great. Oh, it. when they land on LV426 and they put on the floodlights, it does look like they've just got a string yeah, of fairy they... lights along the bottom of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that the, um, the sequels you know, followed up many of the established tropes of this film? What do you mean by a trope? Well, for example... Almost every alien that gets killed at the end of an alien movie is like blasted out of some sort of airlock. Yeah. <laughs> there's, al- there's always a devious android. You know, is it a bit formulaic? Are the are the sequels a bit formulaic? Although the sequel uh, subverts that, doesn't it? Because the androids ultimately okay. The hell yeah! It's they, just I suppose, uh, yeah, they don't trust if, them. If you're coming out of this film, then you're automatically with Ripley and not trusting the android because of what you saw last time, but the fact that um, Bishop is, is fine throughout. Um, he has to win her round. Yeah, it's, it does subvert that. I mean, like, I don't remember three or four and what they did with androids. I do remember Fastbender's uh, David, was it? In the, um, yeah. That makes it sound like it's a sculpture of his <laughs> Fastbender's David. But, uh, <laughs> um but yeah, I remember he was along the ash mold, wasn't he? Yeah, he was back to the kind of original scheming or, you know, uh, programmed to do whatever it takes, even if human lives are expendable. Yeah. There's one thing that Aliens does that, that doesn't quite add up for me ever is, you know, it, and it's the same with anything that where you have a single unkillable thing. It's, you know, it's it's impossible to defeat. It's overwhelming. But and suddenly in Aliens, they were mowing down Lots of them. Yep. All it takes is a couple of automated turrets. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of ammo. And a lot of ammo, yeah. And and I think the, the acid blood was plot convenient in the second one as well. It only sort of melted through things when it needed to. Or melted through people's faces. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's any sort of formulaic stuff. I suppose Alien 3 is just a a retread of this one in a lot of ways because they want to go back to a horror thing. But, right. Um, well, do you, th- do, do you think, uh, do you think someday we might revisit the, this world and do an aliens podcast? <laughs> Could no. do. We've, we've almost done one here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, we didn't we've not even talked about Michael Bean. <laughs> no, um, definitely. It'd be one, it'd be one to tackle at some stage because there's a film we're talking about. Is a cat. We didn't talk about yeah, Jonesy. She saves the cat. Jonesy, Jonesy has, so only because we've been watching it on in the background, but that scene where you get to see the alien's face and then it cuts to the, it cuts to the cat like two or three times whose face is supposed to be just watching this alien. And it's honestly hilarious. Cracks me up. Well, because he's so like placid. The cat's just like, <laughs> he's like well, yeah. I think yeah. the cat's, I think the cat's part of the story to be to to give root to a couple of jump scares because for a while they're just tracking the cat, aren't they? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. I don't know if it's just there for that. I think it's because that's like a familiar, haha. That is like having a cat is like your familiar, homely type thing. It stops it from just being like a a standard building type thing or like a. Has it ever, has it ever explained who the cat belongs to? No, but it, maybe he's like a person. maybe he's like an old fashioned seafaring cat. You know, the ship's cat. <laughs> he's just there to get rid of pests as long as they're not seven feet tall. Also, whose um, whose cryo tube does it sleep in, uh, or does it have its own? Does it, I think it must have its own. <laughs> it's got its own and I was thinking bin. this, and I was thinking this. Somebody must have gone to like open, like to wake the cat up. But I think <laughs> and it was but, stumbling around around cryo blind. And, and alien is um, this it not sleep with her, or is that a different cat? At the end of this one, does she not like kind of curl up with it? Yeah, because I yeah. think when she when she gets found in the in the next movie, I'm quite sure she's got the cat, right? Yeah, she must do. Yeah, yeah. I think she's got the cat in the next one, and I think it's because it's like been with her. Right. Yeah. Well, she, she puts it in her cryo tube when she's on the shuttle, uh, but you don't really see where it comes from. I wonder if she's got enough cat food on that shuttle. I suppose it's got some cryo sleep. It doesn't matter. Just put it to sleep. We're not fine. Yeah. Yeah, Jonesy's the real hero, clearly. Does he have a litter tray? That's the question. He doesn't poop in space. (laughs) In space, nobody (laughs) can hear you poop. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, I think we covered some of the film. Yeah. (laughs) I think we got our thoughts down. You know, there's a lot to it. There's probably a lot more we could have talked about. But, um, you know, I think we've had a good discussion. Yeah, and it's it is one of those films that I do keep coming back to, and it's um, I mean it doesn't really scare me anymore. Um, no, I think I think that ship has sailed, but part of me notices how corny it looks in some places. Right, I suppose yeah. if you've seen it so many times, you're just able to look out for all these yeah these things in the background, or you know. I rewatched it at the weekend, and one thing I one thing that kind of stuck out to me on this viewing is. Um, horror films sort of teach you the geography of the place you're in but you, I never get the impression that I know my way around the Nostromo no yeah but it's pretty giant though it's, it is it does remain a mystery I suppose it by d- the end of it yeah but you, I never get a sense of how big it is other than the external shots you get and, I mean it's mm-hmm. supposed to be huge of course but a lot of it is the fuel tanks isn't it you know the, the stuff they're hauling yeah yeah um, but Inside, it's difficult to figure out how big it is, or because sometimes it's quite cavernous, and other times it's really claustrophobic. Yep, it is what it needs to be, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's internal schematics being drawn up. I suppose if a model was built, you'd have to have some idea of where everything is. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are somewhere. Maybe people have done it retroactively. Yeah, yeah. This this is um this is a good early okay. nerd film, certainly. Indeed. Natalie, do you have any final thoughts? Um, that I definitely prefer Aliens 2. Aliens 2? I mean Aliens. Aliens <laughs> Sorry, Alien 3. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I'm tempted to watch now like the, the third and the fourth one just because I just don't just don't have any recollection at all of them and I don't think I've seen them. For good reason. But, you know... I think it's quite having this on in the background while we're talking about it. It's quite good because I'm not 
I'm not as familiar with it as I thought I was. And I, th- and I wonder if that's true for many other people. It's just we, we do know all the references and we get all the sort of like um, imagery from other things that we f- maybe feel far more familiar with the movie than we really are. I definitely feel that. And, and it's not like old to me when I'm watching it because I don't really remember all of it. I think so, it firmly cements itself in the, the time it was made. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of pacing, you know, it's, it's very, very slow paced and I can see how a modern audience wouldn't like that because mm-hmm. it does take a while to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see the alien until quite far into it, by which time you've just sat around with a bunch of people and learning, you know, that they all work and want... But there's nothing wrong with that. And I think... No, no, there's, there is yeah. nothing wrong with it. But and there are think, definitely movies nowadays, though, that have, have gone back to that slower pace because I think that it's too easy to just, like, bombard people with, you know, things that they want to see. I mean, I'm quite sure... Who was it? It was... Um, oh, who did... Kronos in Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro. I'm quite sure one of his movies, like from a few years ago, got slated only because they showed like the full monster, and people were really annoyed that they saw the whole monster really early on in a movie because it stops you from from having your own like imagination. The kind of patient like, build up. Oh, yeah, and I think that it can really pay off, and I think that. You know, I think there's definitely an audience for for those movies now. It doesn't have to be that you get that that what did you call it like that money shot or whatever really early on. I don't think you. You're talking about the white goo again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm being serious. Like you, um, thinking about that that movie by um, a Del Toro. I'm just a bit like. You don't need to see the whole bad thing. You don't need to be privy to what it looks like and all this kind of stuff. I think that having your imagination work work for it. Like in the Babadook, you don't see, I mean, mm-hmm. do you not see, you see that all fully, but that is still quite scary, but it's kind of... It's more about your imagination. Good. Yeah, it's, it's about the horror you, in your own head. Uh-huh. Yeah, you working for the movie, then the movie just showing you everything straight up I think that you need to have that slower pace and that anticipation to really get a proper enjoyment from a movie yeah, yeah I, think, I think the pacing works in its favour and um, but I can see why a modern a modern audience with modern sensibilities would be a bit turned off by by the prospect of it just you know taking its time to go mm-hmm. where, where it needs to go and I, I have heard of people that have never seen it before who just you know were a bit bored by it before it really started um, but I can, I can see why. It's just I think I've benefited from the fact that I saw it long ago and, and I have mm-hmm. fond memories of it. But I, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how how much longevity it has for new audiences. I think it's. Well, but what about me? Because the first time that I saw it was was with you guys last year. Yeah, but um, you've already said that you like um, slower paced things anyway. There's people 100%. that don't. <laughs> right, but I'm a modern audience. If if you grow up on a diet of fast paced. Fast and Furious things, you know, and and then you go Wait, and watch. I'm this. not ruling. I'm not ruling anything out. I enjoy movies from like all, from from anywhere. So, but you can't say like a modern audience won't have the patience for it. That's not fair. Well, I have come across 
quite a few people that haven't had the patience to watch this one, even Aliens as well, because Aliens isn't paced like a normal action movie of, of today. But so, a flamethrower strapped to pulse rifle? With grenade launching? <laughs> yeah, but it's, the, it's the how long it takes you to get to the... the and Michael Bean. <laughs> Michael Bean, because uh, everyone loves that guy. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you guys. I and As I've said you know, at various points throughout our chat, it's difficult for me to think of a time where I didn't know this movie kind of inside out and uh and it wasn't the 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 imagery of it wasn't part of my life um i definitely enjoy aliens as well as i said aforementioned flamethrower pulse rifle grenade launcher and the action stuff the bean stuff uh but it all started here you know that this is where it all kind of began and without without horrific parasitic aliens bursting out of John Hurt and Sigourney Weaver kind of running from the whatever might be in the shadows of the Nostromo. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have had aliens and then what came after. <laughs> but still, it was good. It was good while we also probably wouldn't have had a lot of sci fi that we, we know today. Yep. I mean yeah. I, I remember I watched Aliens for the first time with a friend who had never seen it a few years ago and um, they were a big Halo fan and they were starting to see all the things that Halo stole from aliens mm-hmm. while watching it and um, I mean I can't think of anything modern I suppose that borrows heavily from Alien other than the, just the, the whole general atmosphere of it and things like that. I mean I think yeah. it's more of a conceptual inspiration rather than it, you know you can draw any direct inspiration as True. such. But it did breed like two legitimate icons of the sci-fi genre Ripley and the Xenomorph are just recognizable hero and villain, uh, you know, up there with any from almost any genre, I'd say that recognizable. Yeah, definitely. And then it's, it's interesting that Sigourney Weaver has expressed no interest in, in playing Ripley again, at least not as far as I know, but I'm surprised they haven't tried to go back to that now that all this stuff is is happening. Mm, uh, yeah, maybe she just went to that well a couple too many times. Yeah, well, I think after they resurrected her in the fourth one, it was that was the ship had sailed there, which yeah. was, by the way, written by Joss Whedon. Ah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did that guy go on to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what happened to him? <laughs> All right, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you guys for joining me. You're welcome. On our journey through, around, out of the chest of Alien. With the white goo everywhere. Many mentions of white goo, whatever (laughs) you want to believe that to mean. Uh, I'll just pop you back in your cryotubes. Jonesy, where's Jonesy? (laughs) You go. (laughs) All right. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. And goodbye. Goodbye. So that was our discussion of Ridley Scott's Alien. There's probably plenty more to be said, so maybe someday we'll get a sequel. Or seven. Thanks for tuning in to this Halloween edition of Neil Before Pod, and a big thanks to Skylar Khan for providing the music. Remember, you can find us on iTunes or wherever good podcasts are sold.